Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 tonight. I want to uh, share something with you that, um, uh, well, it's on the subjects of faith, which it certainly isn't new. If you're around here any length of time, you're certainly going to hear about faith. But, um, uh, but kind of approaching from a different angle, the title of tonight's message is, What Are You Believing For? Now, in Matthew chapter 9, we want to uh, start with verse 35, which gives us a summary of Jesus' ministry. Now, I, I trust that you know certain things. We, uh, maybe I should even start there in John chapter 14. Jesus said, uh, Barely, barely I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also, and even greater works than these shall he do. That's John fourteen twelve. So we know that uh, that Jesus instructed his disciples, and he didn't favor them over any of the rest of the church. The disciples of the early church didn't have a different uh, mission or or uh, uh, commission than uh, than we do, uh, and so we could very simply say that the commission of the church is to do the works of Jesus. But then we have to ask the question: What are the works of Jesus? Matthew nine thirty five is the summation of Jesus' ministry here on the earth. It said, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in the synagogue. So teaching must be a work of Jesus because that's what he did. Secondly, it said preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So preaching must be a work of Jesus too. Thirdly, it says in healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Uh, some other translations say, say every manner or every kind of disease, sickness and disease among the people. And that's uh, really an accurate translation. It's saying that there is no uh, sickness that was too great for the power of God to heal. It does not mean that every person that was sick got healed. And that's uh, that's one thing that I think a lot of the modern-day church, uh, well, let's get a little bit more specific, people who are not students of the Word uh, mistakenly think. Because, for example, over in John chapter 5, it tells us about the man at the pool of Bethesda. There were five porches full of sick people and uh, folks that were lame and impotent and, and powerless to, to do anything to help themselves. They're all waiting for the troubling of the water. You know, at a certain season, uh, unknown time, nobody knew. It wasn't on schedule or anything. But every now and then, an, an angel would come down and stir the water, and the first one in the water would get healed. Now, the reason that they found out that the first one in got healed was because the second one didn't get anything. And so it's a mad dash for the water whenever there's a ripple. I, I don't know what happened if the wind blew and, and kind of caused the water to move a little bit. <laughs> you know, it seems to me like everybody would be waiting on the edge ready, ready to jump. Well, we don't know how many people were there, but it was certainly some kind of uh, number that was significant. It tells us about five porches full of people. Now, I don't know how big the porches were, but you would imagine that it would be bigger than just one person to get under. Uh, tradition tells us that some rich person built these to shade the people from the sun and, and uh, the elements while they were waiting for the troubling of the water. So apparently this was something that had gone on for some period of time. Well, only one person got healed in that crowd. That was certainly the same thing, the same uh, case in Mark chapter 5 where the woman with issue of blood was healed. There's no reason for us to expect or imagine that, that uh, she was the only sick person in that crowd. We know in John chapter 5 there were other sick people in that crowd. So how is it that the church, modern-day church world has the idea that if somebody has healing power like Jesus had, that everybody that was sick would get healed? They didn't. They didn't in Jesus' ministry. But the reality is this, and this is the good news as far as I'm concerned, you can't find Jesus ever turning anybody away that came to him for healing. So from that I conclude, you judge it for yourself, but from that I conclude, healing is not some indiscriminate thing that just happens, but is always available. Instead, is always available for those who reach out in faith. And that's the difference. A lot of people are just sitting back saying, well, if it's the will of God, he'll just heal me. 
It's not the way it worked in Jesus' ministry. I don't know why anybody would expect it to be different today. But healing is always available, just as it was in Jesus' ministry, for those who reach out in faith. Now, here the um, uh, the, the three works of Jesus are identified or summarized. Jesus went about their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, teaching as a work of Jesus, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, preaching as a, as a work of Jesus, and then healing, thirdly, healing every sickness and every disease or every manner of sickness and every manner of disease. So we could say that the threefold or three-pronged ministry of Jesus was teaching, preaching, and healing because everything else he did fell into that category one way or another, teaching, preaching, and healing. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about healing. This is healing school, so we want to talk about healing. There are, and I, forgive me for repeating this, but I never know who's, who hasn't heard this before, and, and, and I think it's a significant point. And, uh, and I found this out, um, after Brother Hagin started healing school. He, uh, I heard him say one time, some years later, he was talking to a group of pastors. He said, you know, he said in, um, uh, in the healing ministry, he had been in the healing ministry for over 50 years at that point in time when he was talking. He said, I've always wanted to go through the gospels and just take each individual case of healing and teach on it. He said, but it never lended itself. The crusades that I was in never lended themselves to doing that. And he said the, the the meetings that I would have in churches and things like that, that wasn't necessarily the way to go either because I was always trying to inspire people to believe and receive right now. But he said once I started healing school, and he started it on October the 1st in 1979, he said once I started healing school, he said that gave me a forum where I could just take my time. I'm doing, uh, at, at least starting off, he did about 85 or 90% of the teaching. The only time he didn't teach healing school was when he was out of town doing a crusade or something. But uh, but there on the campus of the school where he was most of the time, he just was able to take his time and just go day after day after day. And so he did a study of the individual cases of healing. And he said this. He said, I'd had it in my heart for a long time to do, but never had the opportunity to do it. So I never really put any time or effort into studying it out. He said, I was amazed to find out that there were only 19 individual cases of healing in the minute, in uh, the four Gospels. He said, I thought, like everybody else thought, that there were lots more. But he said, primarily, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the same ones. John came along after the fact and said, oh, by the way, here were other things that that uh, happened to Jesus' ministry. You need to know about them, too. And because many of them are related in three of the Gospels, two or three of the Gospels, we get the idea, just kind of reading start to finish, we get the idea that there were a lot more than just 19. But there were 19 individual cases. Now, that doesn't take into account the uh, the groups that were healed, the multitudes and the crowds and, and that type of thing. But you, when you get a situation where there was either one or two people, in one case there were two, that were healed, you can call those individual healing events. doesn't include the ten lepers, for example. They were a bigger group. But individuals that were healed that the Bible gives us a testimony of. Now, please recognize that the reason we have the record that we do is because the Holy Ghost is giving us a testimony of the healings that took place in Jesus' ministry. John said if everything that Jesus said and did was written down, the the world itself couldn't contain the books. He also said that many other healings did Jesus perform that are not recorded. Now, at the time he wrote that, in what we know of as the Gospel of John, the other three were well-known and well-read. So it's almost like he's coming in and uh, inspired by the Holy Ghost, kind of putting a cap on the thing. Saying, oh, by the way, we need to know other things. We need to know of these other events, things that maybe he was there and witnessed where the others were getting secondhand information. Everybody at Matthew, Mark and Luke at least, were getting secondhand information. John gives us an eyewitness account. 
And the ones that he tells us about that nobody else tells us about, he gives us some detail that's important for us to know. And the Holy Ghost gave us 19 individual testimonies of healing in the, in the ministry of Jesus when he was here in, in the three years of his earthly ministry. Well, I don't believe God would tantalize us and tempt us or tease us. Maybe the tease is a better word than tempt. I don't believe he would tease us with just partial information about the healing ministry of Jesus. I believe he's showing us enough of an example so that we get an overall picture of what things were like in Jesus' ministry. Well, Brother Hagen, in going through these 19 individual cases of healing in the, in the ministry of Jesus, identified... And this was what he said he was surprised about. He was surprised to find out there were only 19. And he was furthermore surprised to find out how big a role faith pay, played in the individual cases of healings that occurred in Jesus' ministry. Twelve of the 19 specifically identify the person's faith. Twelve of the 19 specifically identify the individual's faith. Three others show through their actions or the, the something they said or something they did implied faith on the part of the individual, although the Bible doesn't use the word faith or identify it specifically. Now, since that's the case, that means 12 plus 3 is 15 out of 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry, the ones that the Holy Ghost gave us record of so that we would know what Jesus' healing ministry was like. 15 out of 19 were due to the individual's faith. That means only four of them were by works of the Holy Ghost independent of the individual. Now, Jesus had the spirit without measure. He stood in all five ministry offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Hebrews chapter 3 says Jesus considered Jesus the apostle and high priest of our profession or confession. So we know that he still is. He was a sent one here on the earth, and he still is the apostle of our, of our confession. He's sent to oversee our confession even now. He's a prophet. He said, himself, said of himself that he was a prophet, talking about his own hometown of Nazareth in Mark chapter 6. He said, no prophet is without honor except in his own hometown. So he's calling himself a prophet. Well, he was an evangelist. We know he's an evangelist. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor. Well, that's what an evangelist does. He preaches. We see here in Matthew 9, 35, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. Evangelists are preachers. We know he's a pastor or stood in the office of the pastor, or the equivalent thereof, because he identified himself as the good shepherd. The word shepherd is the word also translated pastor in the New Testament. We know he was a teacher, because the Bible says more about his teaching ministry than any other thing. So Jesus stood in all five ministry offices. Nobody else ever will. Where the Bible says Jesus had the Spirit without measure, that's one meaning. He had the Spirit of God on him to stand in the office of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Nobody else ever will. I know some people claim to. But that's not the way it works. Furthermore, Jesus had the Spirit of God without measure in that all of the ministry, uh, the manifestations of the Spirit, I should say, all of the manifestations of the Spirit operated in him with the exception of tongues and interpretation, which are distinctive for the day after he was resurrected, not the day that he lived and operated. But outside of that, he had seven of the nine manifestations of the Spirit in operation in and through him as identified through the four Gospels. Nobody else ever had or ever will have that either. So he had the fullness of the Spirit in measure. In other words, there wasn't any more of the Holy Ghost in any way whatsoever that he didn't have. Yet in Jesus' ministry, who stood in all five ministry offices, who operated in all of the manifestations of the Spirit that were available at the point in time that he lived here on the earth, his ministry of healing took 
in 75% of the cases, took the faith of the individual rather than him doing something on his own. Is there any reason that we should conclude anything else other than the majority of people that are going to be healed in the church today are going to be healed on their own faith? I'm not really expecting to get better results than Jesus did. Are you? Well, if Jesus, the majority of the results Jesus got in healing were as a result of the faith of the individual, then we should certainly emphasize the faith of the individual to receive healing today. And again, that goes back to the point we made earlier. Even though not every person who was sick got healed while Jesus was here on the earth, every person that came to him in faith received healing. So how much more important can faith be? See, folks, bless their heart, folks try to speak disparagingly of us. They say all those faith people. You know, you can't trust those faith people. What they're saying is you can't trust those Jesus people. Because Jesus was all about faith in his ministry. In fact, when in his own hometown of Nazareth, Mark chapter 6, verse 5, and he could there in Nazareth do no mighty work, save he lays his hand on a few sick folks and healed them. He marveled because of their unbelief. So what did he do? He went around about their cities and villages teaching. He's trying to counteract their unbelief that kept the power of God from operating by teaching. What in the world did he teach? He taught something that would inspire them to believe. He taught something that would produce faith. In other words, he was a faith teacher. So I get kind of amused when people try to slander us and say, well, those faith people. Well, they're just saying Jesus people. Those people that are being like Jesus. I'll take that. Doesn't bother me at all. Now we see that the healing, or the, the ministry of Jesus is summarized as teaching, preaching, and healing. Back up to, to uh, earlier in the chapter, there's, uh, the reason I wanted to start here in Matthew 9 is because there are two examples here of something that, uh, that Matthew tells us that are borne out in, in uh, other uh, uh, gospel accounts as well. I want you to notice something. Let's start reading in verse 20. Here's the story of the woman with the issue of blood. We usually go to Mark chapter 5 for this story because Mark gives us a little bit more detail. But I want you to, they both have the same conclusion and I want you to see it. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him, Jesus, and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, if I may touch but his, touch but his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about and said, and when he saw her, said, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. I want you to notice something that Jesus said. This is also Mark chapter 5 and verse 34. After she tells him all the truth and, and Jesus turns around in the press and, and says, who touched me? And the disciples say, well, everybody's trying to touch you. The multitude throng with thee. That's what King James English means. Everybody's trying to touch you and everybody's grabbing hold of you if they can. Jesus, after hearing, hearing the story from the woman, says, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Thy faith has made thee whole. Now, there are several of the the 12 cases where the person's faith is identified where Jesus specifically says, your faith did the job. Other cases it's referred to in Mark chapter 2, for example, the guy that's uh, the crippled guy that's brought by the four other people and let down through the roof. The Bible says there when Jesus saw their faith. Well, we know it was faith in operation. And so that certainly becomes part of the 12 of the 19 where faith is specifically identified, but then there are other specific cases, specific instances of healing where Jesus speaks to the person about their faith. 
This is one of those. Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Thy faith has made thee whole. Thy faith has made thee whole. What was she believing for? She was believing that when she came in the press behind, when she touched Jesus' garment, the power of God would go into her and she'd receive her healing. She had her faith on something specific. So if we ask the question, what is she believing for? She's believing for the power of God to be transmitted to her when she touches Jesus' garment. She's believing that's going to happen. And it did. Why did it? Because she believed for it. Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Now skip down a couple of verses in chapter 9 too. Let me show you another example. Verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him. In other words, Jesus didn't stop to talk to them. He went about his business, went where he was going and let it up, left it up to them to come to him. Now, folks, I would submit to you that if somebody tried to operate like that today, they would be soundly criticized. They would be criticized by the church, well-meaning church people, who would say, that's inhumane to try to make a blind person come to you. But that's exactly what's necessary, whether it's blind physically or blind spiritually or any other condition of, of sickness or infirmity. It's necessary for the person to press through the circumstance to get to God because that's his faith in operation. Only people that believe something's going to happen are going to go to that trouble. So don't think for a minute Jesus made it easy on people. He didn't. He sure didn't for these guys. When he came to the house, he knew one of two things is going to happen. They're going to follow me here, and if so, I'll talk to him and minister to him. Or they didn't really mean it, and they won't get anything. When they came to Jesus in the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said unto them, Believe you that I am able to do this. Notice his question. Do you believe I can do this? Do you believe I can do this? Do you believe I can do this? Folks, I want you to understand something. There's a lot of people that say they believe in God, that they don't believe God's able to do what they say they want him to do. They're parroting things that they've heard somebody else say that this is what causes the power of God to, to work or to heal. But they haven't really come to the place where they look themselves in the mirror, they look in the word and they identify, they talk to God, search, search their own heart and come to the place where they say, I think God can do this. For some people, their situation is too big for God to handle. Now, that's never really the case. There is nothing that's too big for God. But you have to settle that for yourself. That's more than just a verse of scripture that says nothing is too hard for God. It's something you have to settle for yourself. So he he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said unto him, yea, Lord. Notice verse 29. Then touched he their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. Now, here's the point that I want you to see. Here's a, I love the way that this says this, and it says it a couple of different times, a couple of different instances. It's really saying the same thing that Jesus said to the woman with the issue of blood. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. But here it brings out another meaning, and that is you get what you believe for. The woman with the issue of blood is identified as you believed God and this happened. Here, Jesus is saying specifically, you can have what you're believing for. Now, what if this guy was believing for a hangnail to be healed? He'd have walked away blind. What are you believing for? What are you believing for? I don't mean generally, well, I just believe the word's true. That's great. 
That'll work in any church, no matter what they believe or whatever else is going on. I mean specifically, what are you believing for? Turn with me over to uh, Luke chapter 17. Here's the story of the ten lepers. And even though this doesn't qualify as one of the 19 individual cases, it still has this same principle. Let's start reading in verse 11, Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And as they came, and it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, we know this is faith on some level. No matter how they started off, they acted on what Jesus told them to do. Faith acts on what God's word says. Jesus speaking is God's word. So it's faith in action, although it's not identified. Like I said, this is not one of the 19 individual cases because it's a larger group. But you can still see faith in operation to some level. Now, we don't know what degree it is because something happens that differentiates between one of them and the rest of the ten. And when he saw them, he said to them, uh, he, go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. As they acted on what Jesus said, that's when their healing occurred. Folks, write that down. Healing occurs when you do what the Bible says to do. There's no point in you sitting around waiting for God to do something and then you'll do it. Then you'll take action. That's a waste of time. That's like Thomas saying, if I can't see the print of the nail in his hands, if I can't thrust my hand into his side where that spear cut into him, I won't believe. That's not the kind of faith that receives. Ever. And too many people are trying to wait till they see a change to believe in a change or believe for a change. And it never works that way. Faith is the evidence of things you can't see, not the result of what you can so they, as it came to, it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet. So he, he's some distance away, turns around, screams something to glorify Jesus, works his way back to Jesus, falls down before him at his feet. Don't know how far this was. We don't know if he was still inside of Jesus. I'm kind of inclined to think that he was, but I don't know for sure. He must have thought that he was in earshot or else he would have run back to Jesus and glorified him there in my thinking. But what do I know? I wasn't there. I'm just making assumptions based on what's written there. And I don't know that it's an accurate assumption. But he does work his way back to Jesus and fell down on his face at his, on his, face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? In other words, what are you doing by yourself? Where are the nine there are not found that return to give glory to God, save or accept this stranger. And he said unto him, verse 19, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Now, can I ask you a question, folks? Can we ever find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus said, according to my faith, you've been made whole? You ever find anything where Jesus said, according to Peter's faith, be it done unto you? We don't see that, do we? But over and over again, we see where Jesus credits the individual's faith. And in some cases, he says, this happens according to your own faith. Let me show you another example over in Mark chapter 10. 
Now, just a, a sideline here, and, and this is just my own personal opinion. I don't have anything to, to prove it with, although you can't disprove it. And that is, when Jesus says to the leper, the one leper that comes back, uh, arise and go your way, your faith has made you whole, that seems to indicate to me that he got something more than just being cleansed from leprosy when he was afar off. If that's the case, there could have been a creative miracle to put back missing pieces on this guy. Something to think about, isn't it? Jesus certainly makes a distinction between the one guy that came back and credits him for doing the right thing. Well, if he's already cleansed from leprosy, what else is there to take place? Well, there's nothing that says that the the pieces that, that were eaten away by the leprosy were restored except that's a possibility for the one guy that came back. Just my own personal opinion. I think he got something more than the others got. But that's just me. Mark chapter 10. Let's start reading in verse uh, 46. And they came to Jericho, and he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people. As he went out with his disciples and a great number of people. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. Now, the only reason, the only reason, the only reason, please understand the only reason, that he would give us, that Mark would give us this guy's name is if this guy was famous enough, well-known enough to, for everybody to know this is the guy that sits on this highway, the Jericho Road, the Jericho Way. This is the guy that got something. Otherwise, there's no reason to tell us his name. If nobody's going to know who this guy is, why identify him? He could just say a blind beggar. But the fact that he identifies him tells me, and, and it's certainly true as far as the principle of, uh, of writing, ancient writing is concerned. The reason that he would say this is because the people that, are, that he expects to read this letter, this gospel account, is going to know exactly who this guy was and is, perhaps. So blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still only after he wouldn't shut up. Only after he overcame the obstacles. Now, I don't mean that as a criticism, and I'm sorry if if I said that in an unkind way. But Jesus, again, is making it tough for the guy. He's not stopping as soon as he sees him and says, Oh, my heart just breaks for you. Now, that may be the way we think the love of God works, but the love of God gives people the opportunity to reach out and get something that changes their life. The love of God is not sympathetic. It does not just an expression of sympathy. I've seen people die from sickness because other people, Christians, sympathize with them instead of telling them the truth of the word. Now, if that's what somebody else wants to do, okay, you can answer the Lord for that, but I'm not going to. Now, I get criticized for that. I get criticized because people say, well, Pastor Mike, you were mean to me. It's not mean to tell you how to get healed. You may not like my method, but I'm just trying to show you, here's what the Bible says. It's not about feelings. Folks, I don't have to have a syrupy sweet voice to tell you the truth. And as a matter of fact, doing that might sometimes dissuade people from seeing this is not about feelings, whether I feel good or you feel good or anything else. It's about the truth of the word. God honors his word. It's a transaction. God made a promise. You have a right to make a claim on it. And that never changes no matter how you feel. No matter how you feel about me, no matter how you feel about God, no matter how you feel because the sun is shining or not. It's because God's word is true. 
And that's the bottom line. So Jesus walks by this guy. The disciples try to shut him up, and he wouldn't. He knows enough about Jesus to know that there is an opportunity here. So he cries the more, and Jesus finally stops and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind men, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. Folks, this is the most hypocritical verse in the Scripture. These are the same guys that tried to get him to shut up. Now they're saying, oh, hey, he's calling for you. Well, no thanks to you. You were trying to get this guy to be quiet. And it's the fact that he wouldn't be quiet that got Jesus to call him. It caused Jesus to realize there's something that this guy is not willing to do without. So he called him. And he... The blind man casting away his garment. By the way, the garment, this is significant. It doesn't read very well for us because we don't know the, the circumstances surrounding it. But the garment identified him as a blind beggar. He didn't go to Jesus as a blind beggar. He took off the garment that identified him as such and went to Jesus as a man. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Is that not obvious? Folks, the answer is no, it's not obvious. And I want you to keep that in mind because I'm going to tell you some illustrations to prove the point. That's why the the title of tonight's service is, What Are You Believing For? He knows, Jesus knows that the guy wants something from him, but he's not taking anything for granted as to what he wants. He's leaving it up to the individual to identify it. He said, What will thou that I should do unto you? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, go your way. Your faith has made thee whole. And immediately you received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Is this not the same thing as according to your faith be it done unto you? Is this not proof that Jesus is meeting people on the terms of their faith? Sometimes even after the fact. What are you believing for? Brother Hagin told a story about when he was uh, 1956. He was in Pomona, California. Uh, at that time, Dr. Duffield, Guy P. Duffield. Now, uh, we had a chance at the end of uh, Dr. Duffield's life to uh, to make friends with him. It was kind of a fluke thing because uh, Dr. Duffield, many years after he was uh, the pastor at the first Foursquare Church in Pomona, I think it was, where Brother Hagen was ministering, and I'll tell you the story about it in just a minute. Uh, many years later, he um, uh, was the pastor of uh, Angelus Temple, which was the big downtown um, synagogue, not synagogue, where did I get that from? Big town, downtown uh, building and, and uh, 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 church that uh, Amy Simple McPherson, the founder of the Foursquare denomination, started. And uh, God used Dr. Duffield in some marvelous ways. He was an outstanding teacher. He was a, um, a doctor, earned doctorate that uh, taught in the, the Foursquare College Life, L-I-F-E. And um, I think they've changed the name of it now, but it used to be L-I-F-E in, in uh, where Pasadena, somewhere up there. I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, just a, just a tremendously learned man, uh, sensitive man, open to the things of God. He died in about 1998, somewhere like that. And the last couple of years of his life, somehow or another, he found us and he started coming to church here. And, uh, and, and I knew who he was. Uh, once he identified himself, came and introduced himself, I knew exactly who he was because I'd heard Brother Hagin tell stories about preaching in his church. And, and for whatever reason, I don't know how he came to our church or how he started coming to us, 
But I told him about my association with Brother Hagen, and he started telling me other stuff that happened when Brother Hagen was with him and stuff like that. And I mean, we, we just really, we got kind of close there at the end, uh, end of his life. And uh, this was probably, I don't know, maybe three years before he, before he went home to be with the Lord. But anyway, at the point in time in 1956, when Brother Hagen was telling the story, he was uh, pastoring in Pomona, First Four Square Church of Pomona. And uh, and there was a lady in his church that Brother Hagen found out later from Dr. Duffield. She was in her 70s, and somehow, five years prior to this, whenever it was, she had fallen and broken her hip, and it never had healed right. And so she was coming to the services, and, and she was on this uh, this crutch-type thing. It wasn't really a cane. It was higher than a cane, and so it was kind of a makeshift crutch. And, uh, and, and her hip didn't work right. She was hobbling along and, and, um, everybody knew her in the church and she'd been there for some time and, uh, well, since before she had broken her hip. And so everybody knew her and kind of gave her a wide berth. And you know how it is. People kind of look out for folks that they know and that type of thing. Well, Brother Hagen was in this meeting for four weeks and about halfway into it, about two weeks into it, this lady came to him one night after the service and said, um, said, Brother Hagen, she said, I've, I've followed your advice. You told everybody that uh, needed to be healed, that was part of the church, to come to these morning meetings where you teach on faith. And I've been here every day for two weeks. And she said, you talked about the story in Acts chapter 3 where the, the man at the beautiful gate was ministered to by Peter and John. She said, I've just come to realize that as far as I'm concerned, you're like Peter and Dr. Duffield is like John. And so I've just come to you to receive my healing. Her brother Hagen said, I immediately assumed she wanted healing for her hip. He said, all right, sister, what can I do for you? He said, she pulled back her hair off of her ears, and she had hearing aids in both ears. And so she said, well, as you can see, I have hearing aid in my ears, and I really need to hear. So she pulled it, reached up and pulled one out, and it squawked, and she didn't know. She just turned it off. She couldn't hear it one way or the other. Pulled both of them out of her ears, and she said, I need you to lay hands on me. I believe just like when Peter and John ministered to the man at the beautiful gate, that when you and Dr. Duffy lay hands on me, the power of God will heal me immediately. Brother, she'd been built up in faith over two weeks, every day being in the services. Brother Hagen and Dr. Duffy lay hands on her, and, and instantly her ears were opened. Turned her around, still some people there at the, at the service, even though the service was over. Turned her around in the service and, and whispered some things that, that she wouldn't have been able to hear otherwise. She went even to, explained about how in the services she had to sit right underneath the speaker and, uh, and could only hear about half of what was being said because her hearing was so deteriorated. Brother Hagen tested her out. The people that were there, everybody rejoiced. Everybody was excited about it. For the next several weeks of the, the meeting, everybody saw that she was able to hear and, and uh, gave glory to God for it. So she received her healing. And she turned around, took her crutch, turned around and started hobbling off. And Brother Hagen said she got about four or five steps away and said, hey, wait a minute. I mean, the hearing aids was just a side thing as far as he was concerned. He thought she was coming to get healed from her from her hip. He said, uh, hey, wait a minute. What about your hip? And she said, oh, I can live with that. But I really needed to hear. What are you believing for? There have been two people over the years in our church that I wrongly assumed what they were believing for. There was a, uh, well, one of them had cancer and the other one had a different situation. I won't go through it, go into it and, and tell you about it. But I assumed, because I knew they were believing God, I assumed that both of them were believing for their healing from these two conditions, one cancer and the other, the other thing. And I assumed that. 
and, and it was the strangest thing. It baffled me for years. This, uh, this one person was in our church for about 15 years before they went home to be with the Lord. And I'd pray for her. Man, she'd get healed from colds. She'd get healed from flu viruses and stuff like that, which was very, very serious for her because of her weakened condition, because of the cancer and the, some of the treatments she was taking and stuff like that. And she'd go into the hospital. She'd have an episode and go into the hospital on, on Saturday afternoon. We'd get a call on Saturday afternoon. She'd want us to pray over the phone. I'd pray with her, and then she'd check herself out of the hospital on Sunday morning to be able to get to church to teach in kids' church. I mean, I saw, I saw some of the most miraculous changes from one circumstance to another circumstance to another thing in this woman's life. But I couldn't get her healing for cancer for nothing in the world. And it bugged me. I don't know if you know this or not, folks, but I hate sickness. I hate people in my church being sick. Now, I don't know if you're praying about your situation, but I'm really praying about your situation if I know about it. And long-term things like that bug the stew out of me because I know the word's true. And I know if I can't get somebody help, there's always a reason why. And, and, and I don't always know, know, know what the reason is. And I can't stand not knowing the reason. And once I know, I'm okay. But I can't stand it. But God doesn't always show me the reason. The Bible says the secret thing belongs to the Lord. God didn't tell me all your secrets. I don't really want to know all of them. But when it comes to something regarding healing, I want to know how best to help somebody. Well, I couldn't get the healing for this lady. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I said, Lord, I don't understand. She's believing for healing. Look at how her faith's working in other things. Look at how her faith works in this condition and this situation that the doctor said. And, and, and some of these were real, real serious things. And instantly in some cases, overnight in other cases, she'd receive her healing from these other things. I'm not sure I ever prayed about any other person's situation more than I prayed about hers. It'd be maybe I'm thinking of one other situation and it would be close. But I mean, I spent hours talking to God about it. I, I'd begun to, to take on the position there was something wrong with me. If only I was sensitive enough, if only I could hear from the Holy Ghost well enough, then I'd know how to help her and I'd know how to do this, that and the other. But then I stop and I think, well, what would I do different? I don't know anything to do differently. What am I going to do? Pray more? My gosh, I'm praying more for her than I'm praying for me now. What am I going to do? How would I handle things differently? I couldn't come up with an answer. If I could have come up with an answer on that, then I would have made the change. But I couldn't figure out what would I do differently. I don't know how to do anything more than what I'm doing. And folks, I got to tell you, I know more about healing than than maybe 95% of the people out there. Not because of me, but because of some of the situations the Lord puts me in. So who do I go to? How do I find out? Well, the woman went home to be with the Lord. Broke my heart. I felt like I lost. I hate losing to the devil. Hate it. Despise it. Refuse to do it. But I felt like we lost. But you know what I found out? I found out within the next couple of months after her going home to be with the Lord, she wasn't believing God for healing from cancer. Fooled me. I assumed she was. What she was believing for was to stay alive until her kids graduated high school. Well, it worked. She got exactly what she's believing for. 
it saved me a lot of time on my face if you just clued me in. But right on the other hand, how do you tell somebody that? I also found out later from family member that she had shared with somebody that she just didn't believe she had enough faith to believe God for healing from cancer. Now, folks, that's the biggest lie there is. And the evidence of that is the the fact that her faith brought her results in other areas. Faith's always the same. If you can believe God for something little, you can believe God for the biggest thing there is. Are you listening to me? Please hear that. If you can believe for God, believe God for something small, you can believe him for the biggest thing there is. Now, the fight may be tougher. The circumstances and the obstacles in your way may be more difficult. The time involved may be a bit, little bit longer because you have more distractions and more spiritual effort to exercise or exert. But if you can believe God for something small, you can believe God for the biggest thing there is. Because faith is always the same. And if you can believe God for in one area, you can believe God in another area. Because faith is always the same. There's a different experience. For example, believing for finances is a different thing than believing for healing. But only because finances come from this realm and healing comes from the spiritual realm. And so there are different circumstances associated with those things. But faith is still the same in every area, in every realm. Are you listening to me? What are you believing for? What are you believing for? Specifically, what are you believing for? I think we need to get specific about some things. I'm uh, reminded of the story. I've told you this many times. But the story of Dr. Hicks when he was preaching over in, uh, I think it was the Philippines. And he got sick. Man, they were working him like a dog over there. He was preaching three or four times a day, a couple of hours at a shot. And he got sick over there and he just claimed his healing. He just said, okay, Lord, I believe God, believe that by Jesus stripes I was healed. So I received my healing by faith in Jesus name. Well, a couple of days went by and he's getting worse. And finally he prayed. He said, Lord, what is going on here? And the Lord spoke to him almost instantly. He said, this is not a matter of healing. Use more salt with your food. You're dehydrated. When I hear he's believing for healing and healing's not the answer. What are you believing for? According to your faith, be it unto you. He's believing God for healing. Healing was working fine. But he's not believing God to not be dehydrated. Once he got that bit of information, he shifted his faith over. He mixed faith with using salt. Got better almost instantly. What are you believing for? Specifically, what are you believing for? I've had people, well, like I said, there, were, there have been two people specifically. And in both cases, I was able to get results by prayer, through prayer, I, and laying hands on them. I was able to get results, but I couldn't get the big thing done. The other situation was almost exactly as the first one. They didn't believe that they could receive their healing. First one was because they didn't believe they had enough faith. The second one was because they thought that the, the sickness that had come on them was because of something in their past. And so they were believing God to be as well as they could without ever really extending their faith to receive God's healing mercy no matter what they did in their past. What are you believing for? 
Are you believing for the right thing? Are you believing for everything that belongs to you? It's always since that time, and it's been a long time ago since both of these situations happened, it's always caused a red flag to kind of grow up for me. When I see somebody that gets results in one area, but not in another, that's always, that's, uh, well, through experience, just kind of learning the hard way, I guess. That's always caused a red flag for me. That's always caused me to wonder, what's going on? And whenever possible, I talk to him and say, now, what are you believing for? Specifically, what are you looking for God to do? And what are you basing that faith, that belief on? Because I want to know that I'm believing for the same thing they're believing for. If I see the big thing and I'm assuming that that's what they want to receive from God, healing you know, from the, the major condition, I want to make sure we're on the same page. Because if we're not working together, it won't work. They'll get things according to their faith, but I'm going to be tremendously disappointed because I'm thinking they're believing for something else when they're not. Wouldn't it be silly for me to have a nail or a rock in my shoe and believe God for healing for my foot? Get the rock out. You don't have to be healed. Now, I know that sounds simple. But I want you to understand something, folks. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is to guide you into all truth. So I know that in both of those cases where the people failed to receive, then died through sickness, I know in both of those cases the Holy Ghost is trying to lead them every step along the way, and they're not listening. Why? Why are they not listening? Why are they not hearing? What's up? In these two cases, we can, again, I'm making assumptions based on information I received after the fact. In one case, the second case, she's believing that God's not going to do anything for her, literally that God's mad at her for something in her past. Well, that's a lie. But if we had talked about it, we could have uncovered that and we could have shown her in the word that the Bible says that God will forgive you even if it's your own sin that's caused it. He'll forgive you and heal you all in one one swap. It doesn't even take two prayers. That's what James 5 is all about. The prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Same prayer does both. Do you see how easy it would have been to get that woman healed? All you had to do is make a little adjustment in her, in her thinking, in her believing. But if you don't know, how do you know? Brother Hagin told a story. I'll close with this. I'm, I'm out of time, a little over time, as a matter of fact. But let me close with this. Brother Hagin said that um, uh, when he was pastoring a church, one of the, the few churches that he pastored, three churches he pastored, uh, one church twice, but uh, still just three different churches, over a 12-year period, he said that, uh, that there was a lady in his church that uh, was confined to a wheelchair. And uh, the doctors had told her that, um, that whatever the condition was, it was um, uh, going to cause a... Um, a stiffening of her bones and her joints. And so the doctor told her, he said, now, if you're going to wind up stiff as a board. If you want to be stiff as a board laying flat, then just stay in the bed. But if you want to be stiff as a board in a chair, then, you know, like, like you're sitting in a chair, then, then sit in a chair. Well, she figured she'd have greater mobility if she was able to kind of get around or be pushed around in a wheelchair. So she spent most of her time in this wheelchair. And um, so Brother Hagin said that there were there were numerous times where, uh, she and other people in the church would pray, and, and uh, this was the church that uh, Sister Sylvia was part of. 
Sister Sylvia was somebody that uh, that was really, really used of God in prayer. And and uh, and when they found out that anybody in the church was sick, people would come to the church and just spend hours and hours and hours praying for these folks. And as a result, they always got everybody well in their church. Didn't have as much to do with Brother Hagen outside of teaching the truth and teaching the word. But it wasn't some special anointing that he had is because people in the church would get together and pray. Nowadays, people are too busy to do anything like that. You know, three minute prayers about all you can expect to all you can hope to for somebody to do for somebody else. But things were different back then. And so they they operated different. And I think they could be the same way today if you could just get people that were uh, committed to it and willing to do it. But anyway. This uh, this group got to pray, and Brother Hagin was, was with them, and they had prayed for about three hours, and Brother Hagin had a vision. And in this vision, he saw this uh, this lady that was in a wheelchair in the, the great room of her home. They had a big, large home, big high ceilings and that kind of stuff. And so she was over in one corner of the room, and he saw these three other ladies and himself in this same vision one of the ladies, uh, three of the ladies were in the opposite corner. Here's one corner. Here's the other corner, the opposite corner. They're over there. Brother Hagin is in that corner and he speaks to her. He points his finger at her and speaks to her in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And that was the end of the vision. Well, Brother Hagin would ask the question when he'd tell the story, what would you interpret that vision to mean? I would certainly think that that means here's the way that the woman's going to get healed. Not through laying on of hands, but through operate acting out what that vision was so they went over to her house that whatever time they they felt like was appropriate and brother Hagen set it up just that way put the lady over here in the in the corner in the wheelchair sitting off by herself three ladies over here in the opposite corner of the room brother Hagen over in the the third corner the neutral corner and they just started praying Brother Hagin hadn't shared the vision with anybody, hadn't told him anything other than the Lord has shown me something. The Lord has shown me something regarding her healing. So that's why we want to go over there. So they all knew why they were there. And so when they got there, they started praying again. After praying for about 15 minutes, Brother Hagin said the anointing came down on him. And he pointed to the woman over in this corner in the wheelchair, said, rise and walk in the name of Jesus. And he said, with God as his witness. And he said, those three other women sitting there are in the room with him. He said, this woman sitting in a wheelchair, you know, in the straightened, stiffened condition, lifted straight up out of that chair. Power of God lifted her out of the chair. And not only that, but lifted her forward about eight or ten inches from the chair. Nobody touching her. Nobody doing anything to her. Just God answering what he showed Brother Hagin in the vision. And at that point in time, when she started moving out in front of the wheelchair, she got nervous and got afraid, reached back and grabbed that chair, lifted it up under her again, pulled it up underneath her again, its own wheels, you know. So she pulled it up underneath her and fell in that back in that chair kerflop. And Brother Hagin said, without thinking, he just blurted out, well, lady, you don't have an ounce of faith, do you? And she said, no, Brother Hagin, I'll go to my deathbed in this chair. And she did. Now, she's turning in prayer requests to the church. The whole reason that they're there is because they're assuming that she wants to be healed. But she's got her mind made up. Her mind is made up that God's not going to heal her and that she's going to die in this condition. According to your faith, be it unto you. What are you believing for? Now, folks, I, I don't mean this to, to depress anybody. I don't mean this to be a downer service. But to be perfectly honest with you, these are conversations that we need to have if we're going to see people healed. 
These are things that people need to identify. These are things that people need to ask themselves. These are things you need to search your heart about. What do I really believe God's able to do? What do I believe God will do for me? And if the answer is something other than what you'd really like to have, that's the time to get into the Word to find out, well, what does the Bible say instead? In both of the cases, we could have solved the problem by showing the two ladies what the Bible says instead of what they were thinking. They didn't even need my help. They could have just simply followed the leading of the Holy Ghost, who is the Spirit of truth, who guides you into the truth. Well, the Word of God is the truth, so that means He's going to guide you into what the Word says about you or your situation instead of what you might be thinking to the contrary. But you've got to be willing to hear. Now, I'm not, I'm not criticizing them. I'm not judging them. But I'm telling you that in both cases, they both went home early. Earlier than they had to. Earlier than they should have. God met them according to what they believed for. But they could have believed for so much more. What are you believing for? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that there's nothing that's too hard for you. Thank you that all things are possible to us who believe. All it takes is simple faith in your word. Thank you that there's no problem, there's no circumstance, there's no sickness, there's no condition that the devil has ever enforced upon anybody that's greater than the name of Jesus. Therefore, Father, we accept you at your word. Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes, we are healed. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do a supernatural work in us. If there's something that needs to be corrected in our thinking or our believing, reveal that to us. Cause that to come to our understanding that we might believe the word instead of wrong thoughts. That we would never exalt our own thinking or our own believing above what your word says is ours. And that which was purchased by the blood of Jesus. The holy, precious blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that healing is available to each and every one of us and well within our reach because we trust in you and believe in your word. In Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that, say amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for being with us.